Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese TV dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episode five of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in the episode, or else the entire drama if the episode itself is a little light on history, as is the case today. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Please do check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas, and also visit us on our website at www.chasingdramas.com. If you like what you hear or have any feedback, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to, and also reach out to us. Episode five showcases one of the reasons why this drama differentiates itself with other palace dramas. In that, we are not subject to our lead character being framed by some bad guys and then having to wait for a random guy, usually the male lead, to save her for no apparent reason. This drama also negates the need for there to be growth on the main character's side before retaliating. I think we've seen plenty of dramas where the main female lead is way too nice and doesn't fight back. Snooze. In the Chinese drama world, those female leads are called Mary Sue's, and I don't think we use this term that much in the West, but it is something that was super prevalent in the last decade, where all of these female leads were considered Mary Sue's and really annoying because they were too nice and just waited for somebody to、uh, attack them or harm them, and then didn't retaliate, and so. We don't see that in the in this drama, which is a lot more fun. So what happens at the end of episode four? Wei Yingluo was called over to noble consort Gao or Gao Guifei's palace because the noble consort found out that it was Yingluo who told Yu Guiren about her nefarious poison attempt, and Gao Guifei is upset that her plot was. Foiled by some lowly seamstress maid like Wei Yingluo. Fortunately, Wei Yingluo was smart enough to hatch a plan, which is to show that she was mentally ill in front of Gao Guifei. This whole show allowed Gao Guifei to reduce her suspicion of Yingluo and ultimately let her leave. The thing is, poor Wei Yingluo was subject to eating seven full bowls of lotus rice balls. In order to complete her ruse as a mentally slow individual, well, this seems to have fooled Gao Guifei. Her ally Jia Ping is not so easily fooled. She recognizes that if Ying Luo is indeed faking this, she must be a powerful adversary because she thought of a plan to save her life during the walk over to Gao Guifei's palace. Not many people can think so quickly on her feet. I also like how Jia Pin thought of this, but didn't tell Gao Guifei. We as the audience are like, okay, we know who has the brains in this weird relationship. 
Back at the maid's quarters, Ying Luo's friend Ji Xiang is the only one worried about Ying Luo's whereabouts, while the others, namely Jin Xiu and Ling Long, start gossiping that Ying Luo is probably out secretly meeting a handsome imperial guard. But these ladies are left speechless when they see Ying Luo return in one piece. Though Ying Luo doesn't rebuff any of these rumors that Jin Xiu and Ling Long have started spreading. The next day at breakfast, after all of the other ladies have left, Ying Luo point blank confronts the culprit who spilled the secret to Gao Guifei. It wasn't hard to deduce that it was Ling Long who told Gao Guifei's maid in order for Gao Guifei to kill Ying Luo. Ling Long immediately goes pale at Ying Luo's accusations and tries to play innocence, but Ying Luo is having absolutely none of it. She slams down a bowl of lotus rice balls from last night on the table to force Ling Long to eat as a way to teach her a lesson to not snitch on people. This is super satisfying as Ling Long tries to refuse, but Ying Luo is extremely forceful and shoves the ball into Ling Long's mouth to eat. Even as Ling Long tries to cry for help, she is rebuffed by Ying Luo. When I was watching this scene, I was like, Ling Long is just a rice ball. Get over it. She's like, oh my god, I'm getting killed over here. I know. It's like, uh, I mean, maybe she thought there was poison, but still, it was a little out of proportion for what it was. In any case, Ying Luo is an absolute beast because she's like, no, do not call for anybody. I'm not going to accept it. And also, nobody's going to actually want to hear you. So she tells Ling Long that this entire thing is a lesson to her to not use such vile tactics in the future if she's just jealous. Ling Long is reduced to a crumpling mess on the ground after eating a couple of rice balls and ultimately throws up. I mean, she didn't even eat that many. She shoved a bunch into her mouth because Ling Long was like, you have to eat it and then throws it all up. <laughs> I must say, though, we rarely get to see such a retaliation so early in a drama. Normally, we see it towards the end of the drama where the female lead has suffered too much and turns quote-unquote evil. But nope, in this drama, Ying Luo, out the gate, comes out swinging, and in episode 5 is already like, don't mess with me. Well, one maid has been subdued, at least for now. And another decides to continue to wreak havoc. This time, it's Jin Xiu, with her rumors that Ying Luo is secretly in an amorous relationship with an imperial guard. We mentioned in the last episodes that this is strictly forbidden in the palace, which gets relaxed in later episodes, but anyways, for now, this is taboo. As we recall, the guard Ying Luo met is Qin Xi, who had a fling not really a fling, but just some sort of correspondence with Ying Luo's deceased sister. And so Ying Luo met him to get details about what happened. Or more accurately, he accosted her and uh, she was like, what are you doing here? So there's no relationship whatsoever. That doesn't stop Jin Xiu from flaming the rumors to all the other seamstress maids who are willing to listen. Zhang Momo, who manages the maids, kindly reminds Ying Luo about these rumors and that even though she believes Ying Luo has nothing going on, it's important for her to figure out next steps. Shortly after, Ying Luo puts her plan in action. At night, she sneaks out and doesn't return till morning, 
only to be followed by Jing Xiu, who saw her leave. The other maid, Ling Long, kind of the one that got shoved with the lotus balls, heard Ying Luo leave their sleeping quarters, and it was she that actually kind of like pushed Jing Xiu or woke Jing Xiu up to go and spy on Ying Luo. The next day, Ling Long and Jing Xiu head over to share the news with Fang Gu Gu, another auntie who or maid who despises Ying Luo and wants to get rid of her. This Fang Gu Gu wants Ling Long to continue spying on Ying Luo in order to catch her in the act. Ling Long is a little hesitant after the lesson she was taught by Ying Luo earlier, but Jing Xiu doesn't mind. She is more than willing to help Fang Gu Gu spy on Ying Luo. They confirm that the man Ying Luo met previously was Qing Xi. Now, Ling Long is also pretty intelligent to find like a scapegoat here so that it's Jing Xiu who does all the dirty deeds and Ling Long just kind of is like, ooh, I'm in the know, but not really. Also, there's a line later that Ying Luo says, but Jing Xiu does this not really for any personal gain. I mean, maybe, but it's primarily just because she's a huge gossiper and likes meddling in people's affairs. Yeah, there's no point to this. We'll discuss what happens to her afterwards. Next, Jing Xiu sees Ying Luo actually gives something to Qing Xi while he's on duty before she hurriedly rushes away. Qing Xi is a little surprised to receive a gift, but after seeing exactly what she gave him, he's befuddled because all he sees is a rock. Unluckily for him, this scene was also observed by Fu Hong, who punishes the guards for interacting with maids at all. Bad luck for you, Qing Xi, I guess, but... We don't know if this was on purpose by Ying Luo or not either. Yeah, I get a feeling that Ying Luo may have done this in front of Fu Hong or in view of Fu Hong as a way to uh, get back at Qing Xi. We'll never I know. I think so, yeah. No, I mean, uh, we'll never know. Three months pass and the good old indicators that Ying Luo might be pregnant pop up. I do find it funny that this drama is taking all these like tropes and cliches and kind of plays into it, like leans in, but then also uh, recognizes that these are just tropes. Ying Luo shows or puts on a pretty good display that she feels gross during breakfast one day and rushes out to start throwing up. When Zhang Mama comes to measure the maids for new clothes, she remarks that Ying Luo's stomach has grown substantially. This all piques Jing Xiu's suspicion that mm, Ying Luo might be pregnant. She confirms this, or so she believes, as she spies Ying Luo changing clothes one day and her stomach is indeed quite a bit rounder than previous months. Jing Xiu immediately tattles to Fang Gugu, who then informs the higher-ups. Since this is a serious accusation. All of the seamstresses are brought out to the yard as Ying Luo is interrogated by Wu Gonggong, the eunuch who manages the maids. Fang Gugu has a huge smirk on her face as she accuses Ying Luo in front of the group that she has conceived a child in a forbidden relationship with an imperial guard. Jing Xiu is her witness to this accusation. And Jing Xiu is stepping forward and super proud and haughty of herself. 
Yingluo, on the other hand, adamantly refuses such claims and requires there be physical evidence before anyone can make judgment. She demands this. Wu Gonggong agrees and has Yingluo examined by two mormo, or just maids or aunties in the palace, uh, to ultimately see if she is indeed pregnant. Jin Xiao and Fang Gugu are both strutting with their belief that they have Yingluo in a corner. But Yingluo returns and the examining mormo confirms that Yingluo is still a untouched maiden. How can she be pregnant? This stuns Fang Gugu and Jin Xiao. Her stomach is indeed much bigger, so how can she not be pregnant? Zhang Mama steps in to explain that ever since Yingluo ate those lotus rice balls, she's felt bloated, so her stomach right now is just bloated. Fang Gugu and Jing Xiao are almost like goldfish out of water, gasping for air as they realize that they've been duped. Wu Gonggong, at least, is very fair and has no patience for the likes of Fang Gugu and Jing Xiao, who slander others. The two start tearing at each other's throats, accusing the other of being the main instigator for this whole debacle, which just shows how paper thin their alliance was. It's quite entertaining. It's like on a turn of a dime, they just start going at each other. Each does take an opportunity to beg Yingluo for forgiveness, but Yingluo doesn't have the bleeding heart that we see in uh, female leads of other dramas. She does not give Fang Gugu or Jing Xiao a second chance and turns to Wu Gonggong to dole out punishment befitting of their crime. What I liked about this scene is basically everything that Jing Xiao and Fang Gugu say, as Karen mentioned, in any other drama, they would have been like, oh my god, I'll give you a second chance. And this happens in the next two episodes. When I saw um, the subsequent episode, I was like, to that character, did you learn nothing? Can you, like, learn from your friend here? Anyways, back to the episode. Wu Gonggong does not hesitate and orders Jin Xiao to be beaten with 20 canes and sent to Xinzhuo Ku, which is essentially a department for heavy labor. We'll talk more about this in future episodes as, spoiler alert, Yingluo also gets sent there later on in the drama. Fang Gugu, on the other hand, is to be caned 40 times and expelled from the palace. Afterwards, Yingluo visits Fang Gugu before she is kicked out and reveals that this was her plan all along. She purposefully snuck out numerous times in order to trick Fang Gugu and Jin Xiu into thinking something was going on. And then she had to create a real enlarged stomach, so she went to the ceramic factory and produced some of their material that causes stomach bloating, but isn't harmful. Well, with just that, these two fell for her trap. I'm really um, suspicious that it was not harmful to her, but whatever, plot purposes. The episode ends with Yingluo finally getting some answers from Fang Gugu about her sister. After rather forceful coaxing, Fang Gugu gives Yingluo her sister's belongings and also tells Yingluo that her sister was expelled from the palace for having done something extremely shameful. Her last words to Yingluo are to stop investigating her sister's death because it will only cause her trouble in the future. And there we have it. Episode 5, 
was, in one word, satisfying. Wei Yinglu got rid of two of her adversaries in the palace with relative ease, but also because they weren't too intelligent in their plot against Yinglu, they easily fell for it. Hey, that's episode five. You know, that must be a record for like dispatching, you know, low level enemies. So for the main character, that is, we've seen uh, other higher ups get rid of uh, people who are not at the same level. But I think we have not seen the main character do this yet so quickly in a drama. So I think this is probably one of the reasons why this drama earns a lot of eyeballs, because it's just a satisfying beginning. It is important to note that throughout this whole process, the other maid, Ling Long, did not outright provoke Wei Yinglu, but she certainly made hints to Jin Xiao and Fang Gugu to lead them down their path. And we'll see what befalls her in the next couple of episodes. Next, let's turn to some history. There wasn't a whole lot in the drama episode today itself, but so we'll continue our discussion on fashion today with a focus on shoes, as this theme uh, obviously is important for the entire drama. I do hope viewers have noticed that the costumes found in Yan Xi Gonglue differ from what we have seen in Zhen Huan Zhuan or Empresses in the Palace and Ruyi Zhuan or Ruyi's Love in the Palace. We've mentioned before that there are stylistic choices and liberties that all of the dramas take. And trust me, I didn't realize that dramas could look different. So when I was younger, I was like, why do they not look all like Pachugoga? <laughs> Pearl Princess, what is going on? Uh, anyways, Yan Xi Gonglue is one that chose to accurately depict or more accurately depict shoes of the women in the imperial harem at the time. The shoes depicted in the show are called Yuan Bao Di Xie or a Saisi shoe. A Saisi or Yuan Bao, spelled S Y C E E is a gold or silver currency that was used in imperial China. They are often shown in Chinese dramas to showcase vast amounts of wealth. These shoes are a type of gao di xie or high top shoe that were worn by Manchu women. Typically in Qing Dynasty dramas, we see the flower pot bottom shoes or pen di xie. They're also called horse hoof shoes for their shape. These are the shoes that we saw uh, worn by the ladies in the harem in Chen Huanzhuan or Empresses in the Palace. Those were favored by the aristocracy in the late Qing Dynasty. Now, in some articles, we read that servants typically wore these saisi shoes or yuan bao di xie, and the concubines and noble ladies wore the flower pot bottom shoes. In others, it was more of an era situation. The drama chose the latter, as in all of the ladies, whether servants or the empress herself, wore these Saisi style shoes. For these shoes, the elevated section were typically made of wood with white cloth. The shoe portion was sewn on top of the wood. These shoes were usually styled with additional adornments such as tassels, embroidery, and jewelry. Women in the imperial palace wore these shoes, but for palace maids, it was fine to wear regular cotton or canvas shoes to work. 
It was more important to wear these shoes during formal events. In Chinese dramas, usually the servants are shown just wearing flat shoes, as is the case uh, in Empresses in the Palace. For this drama, they chose to have all the ladies wear some form of these sicey shoes. If you look at other dramas, you'll see that um, the maids don't wear the sicey shoes or the xie um, to help their masters because their masters are the ones wearing the shoes and it, it's tough to walk. So take a look here, you know, the masters are holding their, or, you know, leveraging their servants for support, um, but all of the maids here are wearing uh, the sicey shoes. Next, let's talk about the palace maids and the whole situation of leaving the palace. In 1677, which is during the reign of Emperor Kangxi of the Qing Dynasty and the grandfather of our current emperor, the rules were established so that palace maids left the palace at the age of 30. In 1723, during the reign of Emperor Yongzheng, that age was changed to 25 and became the standard. For any palace maid who reached the age of 25 and had no strikes against her, she was given rewards for her service and, you know, formally discharged. For the women who served the Empress Dowager, Empress, and other high-ranking concubines to the level of pin or concubine, their masters would gift the rewards. I read somewhere as a joke that a gift from the Empress Dowager was enough to buy a nice apartment in the Upper East Side of New York of today, which I'll talk about later makes a lot of sense. I would probably um, still keep all of the heirlooms um, that she gifted and probably sell that for like millions and millions of dollars right now. <laughs> if the maid served the lower ranked concubines, there were levels of rewards that were documented. For women who worked in the palace for over 15 years, they were rewarded 30 silver tails. For under 15 years to 10 years, they were rewarded 20 silver tails. For under 10 years of service, they were rewarded 10 silver tails. It's quite hard to convert the value, but I found a helpful article. During the reign of Emperor Qianlong, which is our current emperor, the monthly rent of a nice Yuan or family compound in Beijing, was around one silver tail. The monthly wage was also about that much too, which is already pretty high, quite honestly, if we compare um, to what we discussed in the story of Minglan. With 20 silver tails, roughly, you could buy a whole compound. So while 30 silver tails might not seem like a lot because the aristocracy just throws out values like 10,000 tails, it is nevertheless not a small amount for the palace mates. And tails is T-A-E-L-S, so that's just like the value um, to describe kind of how uh, in China, the currency for silver and gold was used. The silver and gold typically came in the shape of a saisi. Now, if you were punished or expelled from the palace as a maid, you wouldn't receive any rewards. That's what Fang Guwu was so bitter about in this episode. She was about to leave with, um, you know, high honors or like gracefully discharged and probably could smuggle a lot of money out, but now nothing. 
Once a palace maid leaves the palace, she could not re-enter the palace. She could not share any information. She could not send people to check in on her previous masters. And she could not really keep ties with the palace eunuchs. Think of it as though you've signed an NDA. Or, really, you quit your job from, like, the CIA or, like, the White House, and you're sworn to secrecy. Now, I read in some comments, which I also quite frankly agree with, the best option for these ladies was to reach the age of 25 and leave the palace. You receive money, you have experience, you're well respected. Leave the Imperial Palace and live a cushy life in your mansion or marry yourself off. Yes, there are instances of maids quote-unquote making it by becoming favored concubines or becoming um, wives or concubines of uh, noblemen, but that's like few and far between. However, that's like the point of our story, right? Wei Ying Luo definitely does not leave the palace at the age of 25, and here we're watching a whole drama about this one palace maid making it to the top. But again, that's like one in a million. Okay, not that bad like outcomes or that bad statistics, but um, the chances of you dying probably are like way higher than uh, becoming a concubine. And that is it for today's podcast episode. Once again, I am pleasantly surprised with episode five showing us that our main female lead doesn't have to be too nice to those who wronged her, at least in the beginning. In the next two episodes, there will be a bit more history and we will also see Ying Luo make an appearance in front of the Empress herself. Thank you all so much for listening, and if you are in the States and are looking for a platform to watch Chinese dramas, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which has a number of Chinese dramas and movies for free with English subtitles on their platform. You can watch online via the website XUMO or Jumo, or you can watch on TV on Xfinity and Cox Contour. Jubao has also come to an agreement with Sling TV, so you can watch their channel of Chinese dramas and movies on that platform as well. Once again, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.